I'm going to take just a quick second to review some stuff uh, while you guys are uh, all getting settled in. Um, a couple of quick things. One is, uh, remember, Pastor Guide is part of a larger uh, now kind of leadership ecosystem called the Context Leadership Group. And uh, one of the things that we have just started to do for churches uh, that has been really well received is um, uh, what we're calling right now uh, kind of church health plans. Uh, I want to come up with a better name than that, but that's what I got so far. So a church health plan uh, is, uh, is, is really kind of a comprehensive assessment of your church. Uh, and so me and uh, my team come in, spend a couple of days with you and your team, uh, observe a Sunday, meet with your elders, meet with your staff, do interviews, uh, meet with leaders in the church, uh, interview them, and, uh, and, and kind of look at everything A to Z uh, from, you know, uh, what's happening on a Sunday morning to how you're utilizing your uh, facility to staff structure, to staff management, uh, to all of your systems and structures in terms of leadership development, assimilation, everything like A to Z. And we give you this big comprehensive assessment at the end that not only isn't just like, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. It's not that at all. Um, really is actually very encouraging to most churches because they hear a lot about what they're doing right and, and their, their strengths and advantages that they have. Um, and that's just helpful, I think, for a lot of churches to hear. Um, and then, and then there, uh, it, the parts that are, you know, maybe struggling, it's not just a, uh, hey, here's where you're doing bad, fix it. Um, but we, we walk through a really specific, hey, here's, our, here's a plan. Uh, here's recommendations. Here's what you can do to, to fix this. Here's what you can do to change. Um, and then obviously we're, we continue to be available for coaching and, and follow-ups and all those kinds of things afterwards. But um, this is, this is such a crazy moment for, for so many of our churches. And I think a lot of people are being forced to kind of rethink how they're doing the church. They're not getting the results that they used to get from the activities they used to do. And so this is a time to, to kind of have an assessment to go, all right, what are we doing? Why isn't it working? What are we doing really well? And why is it working? Um, and to have just some outside eyes, you know, someone uh, like me, who's been in ministry for 20 years, been in a lot of different contexts from small churches to large churches. Um, and, you know, mostly in the lead role, but also now in an executive role. Um, uh, it's just, uh, it's been a really well-received kind of thing. So if that's at all interesting to you, reach out to me, Justin, at Context Staffing. We can talk more about um, what it would look like for your church and uh, what the price is and all that kind of stuff that I know matters to you guys. So uh, reach out again, Justin, at contextstaffing.com uh, uh, for that. Uh, and then uh, for those of you guys, I, I want to mention those of you who are in Acts 29, uh, we're going to have a booth at the Acts 29 conference in October in Denver. Uh, so come see me. Uh, I, you know, I love the, the chance to get to meet some of you guys. I met Keith uh, for the first time at the um, at uh, Together for the Gospel, the last Together for the Gospel in Louisville, which was fun to just put uh, face to name and meet people in, in real life. So I got the chance to have a phone call with Jason Bellar, uh, and that was great, uh, but to meet you guys in person would be cool. So if you guys are in Colorado, and I'm actually speaking at the conference, I'll be doing one of the main stage talks. So uh, you'll see me. I'd uh, love it if you guys would uh, come say hello if you guys are there, okay? All right, we got a good group today. Uh, good to see you, Brian. Uh, going to see you here in a minute. Uh, and then Kevin, Kevin, uh, and Thomas. So we're going to jump right in. 
So this week we're we're continuing in our playbook series and and the blog and the if you guys don't subscribe to the blog please do uh, I write something every week that goes out most of you probably are already on that list um, but uh, uh, we're, the blog and and these pastor guide calls are are on a similar subject right now but we're the calls are a little bit further behind since we only do these every other week but. Um, we're, we're talking about this, this playbook series and, and what it comes from is Brian and I spent two years, you know, during COVID and all of that, you know, obviously with Brian's connections with all those extra nine churches and our work with churches through context, um, really just learning and asking a lot of questions and observing like what's working, what's changing, what do we need to be ready to respond to? And I would say the overarching thing that that I think we learned from the last couple of years is, and now as we look forward, in fact, my talk at the X-29 conference uh, is about the future of Christian leadership. And uh, and one of the big things that I think we took away from uh, from the last couple of years and we think is true moving into the future is that everything's just going to be harder. Right. And so we've used the illustration on these calls in the past um, uh, of bookstores and, and how bookstores were a thriving, you know, we'd go into Barnes and Noble or you go into Borders or whatever these bookstores were local bookstores as well. And that's how kind of you got your books. And then Amazon showed up and they were faster and cheaper and uh, and kind of dominated the market so much so that I think Borders is almost completely out of business. There are a few Barnes and Nobles still around and then kind of rare books or technical bookstores, you know, that are local. Um, but Amazon kind of changed the game. And so those those brick and mortar bookstores had to assess, like, how do we respond to this moment now? I know that there's all kinds of problems with with that illustration. It's business, it's bookstores, it's, you know, there is no Amazon that's taking our people, whatever. But the the concept, it, I think, holds true, which is um, we, as the brick and mortar bookstores in this illustration, have to rethink, like, what are we doing and how are we doing it? Okay. And, and, and have to respond to the rapidly changing uh, culture around us. And so the first week of the playbook series, we talked about just getting better. And, and I know that that was, that was the hardest word. And that's why I wanted to do it first, just to get it out of the way to go, Hey, we can't just open our front doors and expect people to come. That's just, that is no longer the case. And I don't know, you know, all you guys are in different places. And so all of us are experiencing these cultural changes at different rates and in different ways. But I think it's it's fair to say now that gone are the days where you can just open the front door and people will show up. Okay, that was that was kind of level one of Christendom, right? Like if you had a had a church, people would come. Level two, which I think we're also out of, is kind of the best preacher wins kind of uh, phase of of this. And and I think you know to a degree that's you know there cultural change doesn't happen in a binary sense. It's a gradual thing. So some of that still is true, right? So if you've got the best building, the best worship band, the best preacher, um, you know, you're, you're going to do better than, than uh, the churches that struggle in those areas. I think that's just always true. As much as we, as much as we wish this thing wasn't driven by market, uh, you know, market powers and market drivers. It just is, you know. Um, so if, if somebody can go down the street and listen to something more compelling, they're going to. And that, that, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that they should. I'm just saying that that's often true. And I think we've experienced that. So, so I think um, that 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 we're seeing the tail end of that that season, that phase. And I think we're into a new new phase and a new season where now kind of everything's got to get better. 
and we've got to tighten up everything. And we've got to rethink who our, for lack of a better phrase, who our target audience is or who our market is. Who are we trying to reach and what are they like, right? And that's what drives today's conversation about getting organized, right? So I, I don't know about you, but the, the churches that I interact with, and I interact with churches of all sizes all across the country, right? From a very large church in Louisville that we're working with right now to a very small church uh, of 60 people in, outside of Seattle. I mean, those are the poles of, of what we're, we're working with. Um, and, and one of the consistent things that, that I see is um, a, a basic kind of disorganization. And, and, and it makes sense, right? Because very few of us get into ministry because we want to run an organization, right? That is not usually the driver, okay? So I went to Bible college. I studied Christian theology and ministry. I went to seminary, studied church planting and ministry, uh, and the number of classes I took on uh, how to build a leadership pipeline, how to hire and fire staff, how to do an assimilation process, how to you know make sure the signage in your church makes sense, how to organize your your you know physical layout so that it's intuitive and people know where to go, um, uh, public communication, interpersonal communication, how to do announcements, how, like none of that stuff. Um, was was in any of those classes for me. Maybe you had a very practical seminary. I did not. I learned a lot about what Karl Barth thought about ecclesiology, but not a lot about you know how he would organize his church. And all of this stuff we did learn in seminary is really really important. But there's a big gap around what we didn't learn as well, and that's where there are cracks in our church experience for people that largely didn't matter for the last 50 years. Now, they mattered some. And, and I think when in the phase of like the best church wins phase, you know, kind of the church growth movement phase, the Rick Warren, Bill Hybels phase of, of church life in the West, that stuff mattered more because they got really organized, they got really slick, and they did a great job. They talked about things like customer service. They talked about things like, you know, buyer profiles and all that, which again, the language of it grosses me out. But what they were thinking about was was I think some of the right things. Now, we're in this new phase where all of those things matter a lot because the people that we are trying to reach and the people even that are coming to our churches, they aren't churched. They don't have the same lifetime background. So when I walk into a new church and I travel a good bit to different churches to either to do assessments or to do staffing or to preach at them, um, when I walk in, so I was in Portland just a couple of weeks ago with the church and I was preaching there. I walk in and I know where to go. I know where things are. It's intuitive to me because I've grown up in church my whole life. And so I walk in, I expect to see a lobby. I expect to see kids ministry off to the left or off to the right. I expect to, I, I know what to look for. Um, I don't need a bunch of signage. Uh, but the people that are entering our churches, maybe for the first time, entering any church for the first time, or at least the first time in a really long time, or maybe the only ones they entered were Catholic or they were, you know, high church Anglican or Lutheran, right? They don't know what to do. They're probably already nervous. They already think, you know, they're, they're walking in, everyone's going to know they're the new guy. So um, having real clear systems for how those people know where to go um, is increasingly important, okay? It's increasingly important for them 
to be able to, um, oh shoot, thanks Cody. Cody just told me chat's disabled. I don't know why it does this. Hold on, let me fix this so y'all can chat. Uh, and attendees can chat with everyone. There we go, free GF, thanks Cody. Uh, and the new LP uh, at, at C3 is here. Welcome, good to have you. Um, all right, thanks Cody for that. All right, so here's, here's my point. When, when we are largely reaching church people, church people know what to do. They know that if they want to get connected, there's probably going to be some sort of card that to fill out, or there's going to be a sign-up sheet in the lobby, or nowadays there's going to be some sort of text situation, right? Uh, they, they, they can assume that, they know that, they're confident enough to, to go up to the pastor afterwards because they know the lingo, they know what to say, they know what not to say. Uh, they look for people with, you know, little lanyards on. They they understand how it works and they feel comfortable talking in the system. So uh, I went to Mosaic Church not too long ago because my brother-in-law goes there and we had a weekend off uh, and Erwin McManus's church and all of this. And I, after church, um, thought, oh, maybe I'll go say hi to Erwin. I had met him years and years ago, um, hadn't talked to him in a very long time. And, and there was a long line, so I ended up not doing it. But just that thought of like, oh, yeah, I could go talk to Erwin McManus because I'd go, oh, yeah, we both know this guy. I could I could say some things that he would know that I'm a pastor and I know what I'm talking about. There's some familiarity there, which also gives me a comfort level to kind of exist in that room. So I was wandering around looking at how they do the lights and the chairs and the lobby and all of that. And I just felt comfortable because I knew what I was doing. Well, a guest is not going to feel that way. Someone who is not church is not going to feel that way. And so we have to think much, much harder about how are we organizing ourselves? Are these things intuitive? Do they make sense? Would a new person who has no, uh, no you know, experience with church, will they know if there's no directions in the parking lot or in the building, you know, no, no signage? If there's not clarity around how to sign up for next steps, how to follow up with visitors, how to get their kids checked in, um, all of those kinds of things, they are not going to be able to comfortably uh, uh, you know, exist in your church, okay? So I think that's, that's a huge, that's kind of idea number one in this on the get organized idea is we have to rethink who it is that we are trying to reach, what their needs are, and what kind of information they need in order to thrive uh, in, in your church. And, and the simple answer is they're going to need some handholding because they just don't know what to do intuitively. So as best as you can, you know, one of the things I would do is, is uh, to, you know, either do this yourself or hire somebody, pay them a couple hundred bucks. Like, so we're doing a, a, a lead pastor search for a church in Huntington Beach. And I'm going to go down there in two Sundays and I'm going to show up as a, as a secret shopper for again lack of a better word and and i'm just going to go in and i'm going to experience it and i'm going to see if i get greeted i'm going to see if it's clear if someone tells me where to go and what to do and and how, how much they assume they know uh, about people coming in the front door and and how helpful that they are going to be you can do this yourself and just try to put on those new person eyes um, and that's free and easy uh, you could talk to a friend who's not a Christian, just say, hey, would you just do me a favor? Come to church one day, just give me your, your unfiltered thoughts, you know, pick your barber or something, somebody who's going to just tell it, tell it to you straight. 
or, you know, uh, hire somebody, you know, get, give another local pastor a hundred bucks or something or, or buy them lunch and just go, hey, would you just come and be outside eyes for me? And I think that that, that level of organization is the baseline, okay? We have dumb customers now. We have ignorant customers. They don't know how to navigate our world. And so we have to help them navigate our world, okay? But getting organized doesn't stop there. Okay, um, there uh, is there has been for a very long time kind of a, a free flow of, hey, we, you know, we're pastors, we get into ministry because we love the Bible, we love people, and, you know, having an organized church is, you know, a bonus, right? Like, we'll just, we'll figure it out, right? I think that now more than ever, given that there is increased pressure around um, <clears throat> leadership culture, uh, there's increased pressure around organizational health. Um, and, and by increased pressure, I mean, um, there are more and more kind of public testimonies around, well, this organization is dysfunctional. This, I got fired, but I, you know, I, I was never, I didn't have a chance that I wasn't led well. I wasn't managed well. People are <clears throat> way more likely to complain publicly about their experience at, their workplace um, or at their church uh, or, you know, in, in really in any setting, people love to complain these days. Okay. And so one of the ways we need to respond to that is to, to make, take an honest assessment and go, Hey, we don't want to respond or react because man, we don't want to be one of those people that get blown up on Twitter. That's not the motivation, but the motivation is <clears throat> with, with any critique, there's always some truth to it, right? Like there's always something to learn in it, right? So I've had this happen to me, right? Like I have had people, um, not, not in a super public way, though in one case, a very public way, but other people in more private ways complain about my leadership or complain about the, the culture we have built at our church. And sometimes I, you know, did flat out disagree with them, but it's never a hundred percent, right? Even the people that I can most easily kind of dismiss, still there's something to learn. And often the thing to learn, or sometimes the thing to learn is I shouldn't hire people like that, right? So for those of you guys who are Enneagram people, I can't hire Enneagram three wing fours who have daddy issues. I can't, especially if they're dudes. Guys who are three wing four with daddy issues or four wing three with daddy issues, I can't do it because Ultimately, they end up looking for looking to me for something I can't give them, and they're disappointed. And I could give you names. I could give you a bunch of names. Basically, every single person who's ever gone sideways on me in a church setting or in any setting really fit that profile. So the truth is, I don't hire those people. I just don't. I just know that about myself. Okay. So when we think about our internal staff and our internal organization, our internal systems and structures, those have to get more organized as well. And, and the reality is most of our churches aren't doing those things. In fact, um, I, again, like none of that gets taught in, in seminary. <clears throat> none, right? So I, I wrote this in, in the blog a couple weeks ago, but you know, I, I studied theology and philosophy in my undergrad, got a seminary degree. I spent, you know, eight years probably studying to be a pastor. Um, the number of times I was taught how to build a staff team, the number of times I was taught how to build and manage a budget, the number of times I was taught how to build a group structure 
choose a children's ministry curriculum, set up background checks, hire fire staff, lead a staff meeting, manage people, do leadership development, create assimilation pipelines, or any number of things that take up a lot of my time and have a direct weekly impact on the people in my church? The answer is zero. Okay, zero. But those things matter a great deal. Once your church gets above about 100, 150 people, you are leading an organization. Okay, under 100 people, yeah, you could probably get away with it being a little more loosey-goosey, but then you are kind of condemning yourself, whether you like it or not. I mean, I'm not saying that condemn is an inherently negative word, but some of you want a 60-person church. That's great. But if your desire is to get above 100, you're going to have to shift your thinking and, and think about how to build an organization. The reality is that because seminary doesn't teach this stuff, most churches aren't doing it. <clears throat> I was recently... Um, doing a consultancy with a church of 2,000 people that doesn't have a staff management system at all, like zero staff management system. They've got probably 20, 25 staff, zero staff management system, meaning they don't do reviews, they don't have goals, they don't have measurables, they don't have KPIs, they don't have detailed role descriptions, they don't have clear expectations, nothing. And you may go, well, I mean, do we need that stuff? Yes, you do. I'm sorry. But once you have, I, I think once you have a single staff person, you need to have this stuff in place because anybody that is expected to do a job but doesn't have a clear role description is going to either burn out or be uh, uh, undermanaged and not, not be efficient, right? Because they're either going to be the type of personality where they're going to do a bunch of stuff even though they're, they're, you know, that's outside of their expectations of their role, then they're going to burn themselves out. Or because you haven't been clear with them about expectations and you don't follow up with them uh, and, and give accountability, they get lazy and they do, you know, 75% of, of what they're being paid to do. Okay. This kind of, you know, uh, an organization without those things in place burns out staff, creates confusion, and it can open up gaping cracks in our systems because people don't know that they're supposed to be doing those systems and, uh, and therefore those systems break down. And the people that we're trying to serve that, that are trying to use those systems get lost in the shuffle. They fall into those cracks because your staff and your leaders and even volunteer leaders don't have clarity and they don't have expectations and they don't have accountability. And it's the people that suffer ultimately, especially those people who don't know what they're doing and don't know how to just navigate a church. Okay. So a lot of times what's happening is that people come to our church, which is a miracle. It seems like these days that a non-Christian would come to a church just seems like a darn miracle, right? Maybe they even enjoy the service, right? Maybe they want to get connected, but they don't know what that even means because they're not part of a church. They don't know what to do because you haven't told them really clearly, or they are, they are told what to do, but they're intimidated because the step they have to take is so big that any reasonable person wouldn't do it, right? So for instance, you go, hey, welcome, glad you're here for the very first time. It's great to have you. If you want to get connected, the next step is show up in my living room on a Thursday. Like, <laughs> that's crazy, right? Like they, that, that used to make sense. There was a day and age where that made sense. But if the, the very next step from you're a guest, welcome, the very next step that they're asked to take is show up to a person's house, to a pastor's house on some random other day and have a meal or have coffee or whatever, they ain't going to do it, man. 
Like they, they're just not going to do it. Like by all means, maybe you live in a small town where that's very normal. Great. Most of us don't. I remember having uh, years and years ago in the early days of our very first church plant, we did a coffee with the pastors thing. And it was on a some Friday night or it was some night at somebody's house. That somebody else's house wasn't my house. It was, it was near the church. Zero people showed up. <laughs> Zero. And we were having like dozens and dozens of visitors. Nobody showed up. It was too big a step. It was too big an ask. The people who will show up to those things are the awkward people that don't know how awkward, that they, they don't know that they shouldn't feel comfortable doing that. That's who showed up. Okay. And then you lose it. Because often they never receive any kind of follow-up because you don't have a working system that does so, okay? If we only run those systems, then we will not survive the next 20 years. We just won't, right? We won't survive. So here's what I want you, here's what I want to do. I want to show you what a pipeline could look like, okay? This was in the blog, the Get Organized blog, but I want to talk through it a little bit. So if you uh, want to go back, I'll put some of this stuff in the chat as well so that you guys can kind of keep track of it. Um, but the, the a, a pipeline that connects people, okay? And again, I'm thinking about people who are not churchy people, okay? Who are the people we're supposed to be trying to reach, right, guys? Like we're trying to reach non-Christians, right? So these are inherently people who do not have church backgrounds. If they are non-Christians, more and more, more likely, they don't have a church background. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what to do because they didn't grow up in church. That's becoming more and more the norm, okay? So here is a pipeline, right? So I'm going to put this whole thing, copy and paste, into the chat so that you guys can kind of follow along with me. Let's see if this is going to work. It's not working. Why can I not paste? It's not letting me paste. Let's see if I can do this. I'm going to try one more time. Smaller amount. Well, that doesn't look pretty, but that's what it's going to look like. All right. So you can follow along with me here. All right. Um, a clear, okay, here's what a pipeline should include. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to, uh, I'm going to put uh, the link to the uh, blog itself. So that if you guys want to just link to the blog, you can see this. Uh, that way you can kind of follow along and that will be a little bit more uh, readable. All right, let's do this. First, this is a pipeline to get people connected to your church, okay? One, you need to have a clear identity for your church. Who are you? Why do you exist? And the answer cannot be to make disciples or glorify God or any other thing that doesn't make any sense to these people. You have to have a clear identity for your church that makes sense to people who don't get church, okay? That's step one. If all of your identity statements, all of your mission statements, all of your outward-facing taglines and all of that stuff only makes sense to Christians or only makes sense to people who go to T4G or only makes sense to, to people who subscribe to the Gospel Coalition because it's some you're gospeling people into their gospel identities from fruit to root and all the da-da-da-da, like you're not accomplishing your purpose. All you're doing is differentiating yourself from other churches to people who are choosing between churches, right? That's what you're doing, right? So a clear identity for your church. Now, actually, let me pause. Remember, Q&A, 
put your questions in the Q&A if you have them. Uh, we'll do questions at the end. I'm going to run through this pretty quickly because it's already 1030. I'm going to run through this quickly and then we'll do Q&A. So if you have questions as I go, I'm not, I'm, I'm looking at a list. I'm not even looking at the Zoom. So throw your questions in the Q&A and we'll get to them. Okay. So one, you need a clear identity for your church that communicates who you are in a way that a non-Christian can understand and see the value in. Doesn't mean they're going to agree with it. Doesn't mean they're going to make, take next steps. Doesn't mean any of that, but they have to be able to comprehend, oh, I see what the value is of this organization, of this entity, okay? So a clear identity for your church. Two, a compelling and plain spoken communication of that identity to outsiders, okay? Again, you have to first understand what is the value that we're providing in our church. And as much as we might want to say, well, you know, we're just here to make disciples and glorify God, whatever. Yeah, but there are things you do at your church that other churches don't do. There are programs or ministries or emphases, right? There are ways that you do it that are different than other churches, right? There is a culture at your church that's different. There are things that you are especially good at that other churches are not good at. All of those things clarify your identity and you need to call them out, okay? So what are you doing that's unique? How are you doing them that's unique? And what do you do especially well that's unique, okay? Because reality is like, I got a buddy up in Oregon, Acts 29 guy. He basically planted a biker church. It's great. I couldn't reach bikers. Are you kidding me? I'm way too preppy for that. So he's reaching bikers. Well, his clear identity needs to be, we're a biker church. Yeah. Do we exist to make disciples and glorify God? Of course. That's the baseline. That's the, that's the like, you're in on the team if you're doing that. Okay. But what kind of team are you? What position do you play on the team? Well, we're a biker church, okay? So here's the value proposition to, to a biker, right? We're going to be a place where you uh, get questions answered and, uh, and you can meet up with other bikers who are also getting questions answered. I don't know, right? Like this is off the top of my head. We can workshop it. But a clear identity and then a compelling and plain spoken communication of that identity to outsiders. Y'all read too much John Owen and Charles Spurgeon, right? And I love those guys. But when we read all only that stuff, then our words start to sound like that. I mean, Harvey that I work with here, one of our main like things that we go back and forth on is he writes our liturgy and he writes it in language that Charles Spurgeon would use. And I'm like, dude, we're not trying to reach Londoners in the 1900s. Like this is not who we're trying to reach. So I don't know why you're using that language, right? We've got to use language that sounds like normal talk, okay? doesn't mean we stop saying sanctification just means we explain what that means in normal words okay we got to go faster because that was only number two and we got like 15. three a strategy 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 for marketing that talks about your church in ways that are relatable and compelling while also clear about your convictions okay we hate the word marketing i get it all think of it as talking outside of your church if that helps you sleep at night you've got to figure out what what in what ways are we going to get that clear and compelling vision out to people who need to hear about us? What platforms are we going to use? What uh, means of communication? Are we going to get a billboard? We're going to get a big, annoying, flashing sign. We're going to use primarily social media. What are we going to do? What's the strategy to get the word about who we are and the very real value we have to the people we're trying to reach? What's the strategy? Number four, a call to action in all of your external communication 
that outlines what a person's first step should be, which is likely a Sunday gathering, okay? So you have a clear identity, you figure out how to communicate that identity, what the language is going to be. You decide what your strategy is going to be to get that language out to the people who need to hear it. And now in that, you need to have a very clear one-step ask. What's the ask? Join us 10 a.m. on Sundays. Come to a Bible study. Come to whatever is your first step. Make it something a non-Christian would do or an unchurched person would do. Um, but make it really clear. Here's the ask. Here's who we are. Here's the value we bring in language you understand. Here's the ask. Do this. Number five, a plan to welcome and integrate people into your Sunday gathering that includes direction, signage, and user-friendly process. Again, start from the parking lot. Work your way in. Is it clear, obvious, welcoming, and friendly to a person who's never been there before and maybe is still hungover from the night before? Does it make sense? Okay. Uh, six. An honest and friendly environment reinforces your core values to visual, verbal, and interactive means, okay? So being friendly just seems like baseline, and yet often that is not the case, okay? So we are welcoming guests into our home. We should act like it. So glad you're here. Welcome. Can I help you? Here's where you put your coat. Here's where you put your kids. Here's where you get your coffee. What can I get for you? How are you? Let me help you find your seat. Like, just you're welcoming guests into your home and everything you're doing should act like it, okay? You should also have things, you know, in your lobby and in your sanctuary that communicate and reinforce your core values, which ought to be the very same things that were in that external communication. We're a biker church. Great. Put some motorcycles on the wall or something. I don't know. But like figure out how to reinforce that clear identity of we don't just exist and make disciples and glorify God. Yes. But how do we do it? What makes us unique? And what are we good at, right? Because there's pieces of it that you're not good at. There's pieces of it, like you either have a great women's ministry or you don't have women's ministry at all. That matters, right? That, that's what I'm talking about. That's the stuff that defines who you are and your unique contribution to their lives, okay? Number seven, um, a well-planned worship service that doesn't have to be perfect, but should reflect the value you have for the time you spend in worship. So whatever, however you think about Sunday gatherings, and I know there's a variety of opinions on what their purpose is. Great, that's fine. But just own it and do it well. So if Sunday gatherings are for the church and for the Christians and they're a place, uh, time to edify the body, cool, do that. Do it well. Make it clear. Welcome outside. You're basically welcoming outsiders into a family meal, okay? So make them feel comfortable, but also clearly define this is my role. This is your role. We're happy you're here, but this is what's happening here. Okay, so you get to integrate into our into our world. So just do it. Whatever you're doing, do it well. Number eight, a simple step for a new person to communicate interest in getting connected to the church. Very clear. Every week, every single week, at least once, if not twice, you should be telling new people how to take the next step and what that next step is, and it should be easy. That step should include the gathering of at least a name and email if not also their phone number and city where applicable. So when you're uh, asking them to sign up for something or to do something, you gotta try to gather that information. So for instance, we use text. So text all souls to 94,000. They get a text back that has a very simple form, first, last name, uh, email, that's it. That's all we want at first. It's, we wanna ask the smallest amount that, we, that they'll say yes to without any hesitation, because now we can just follow up with them. 
right? We've got the information we need to follow up with them and, and hound them till the day they die, okay? So include the gathering release, a name and email, not also phone number and city. That kind of, you know, depends on where you're at. In LA, it's kind of nice to know how far away do you live. Uh, number 10, once you've gathered information, you should be able to enter it into a process that includes multiple invitations, check-ins, and offers of service. So planning center is so easy to do this stuff, guys. Planning Center has workflows that you can use that automate this whole thing. You can write automated emails, which we do. We write automated emails that um, uh, it, that, that trigger at certain times, uh, and and it, it's all it's all easy. It's all automated. So you get that email the Monday morning. You're entering all those emails into a workflow that triggers an immediate. Hey, thanks for coming. It was great to meet you. Let us know if you need anything remember, here's the next step to get connected, right? And then it triggers another email a month later saying, hey, you know, hope we got connected. Or, you know, we also have built in, like if they respond, we know they get connected, we can manually shift it and they get into another thing. It's like all the technology exists to do these workflows to automate it. And you don't have to automate anything. I'm not saying you have to, but you do need to have a system. Maybe your automation is your assistant does it. And she got, has a reminder that she puts in, maybe you use a task you know, thing like a sauna or something, and she gets a reminder. So every Monday she puts a new person in and then it reminds her a, a week later, a month later, three months later to reach back out, check in and all that. You can pre-write emails. So it's just a copy and paste. It's all very simple. Um, it doesn't take much, but it's a way we make sure that people aren't slipping through the cracks. Uh, number 11, the first invitation should be some sort of welcome lunch or coffee with the pastors. It should be something that outlines the main identity of the church, an opportunity to get to know some of the leaders. So first step is, will you give us your information? Okay. If they say yes to that, cool. Second step should be an invitation to people. And that's a personal conviction that I think um, the future is analog. That's what I think. I think the future of the church is analog. That's a conversation for another day. But I think the increasing digitalization of the, of the world is going to create a very unique space for the church to be an analog community that it, it becomes a respite from the digital insanity. That's for another day. Your first invitation should be to people. Connect them with people, leaders, pastors, somebody. Okay. Number 12, those invitations should outline the next steps and options people have to join a group, class, a team, or whatever your structure may be. Okay. So once you get them into that room, you're, you're in a face-to-face -face meeting. We use the language group, class, a team. I don't know why. Sounds good to me. Um, those are those are kind of your connection, your next step connection options. Um, and then the system should have intermittent check-ins at three, six, and nine months to make sure people have remained connected. Okay. Again, all of this can seem very daunting, but if you just sit down and write it all out, you can automate it, you can delegate it, even more importantly, um, to somebody else to manage. Um, and a lot of our churches are probably not dealing with such insane amounts of visitors that it can't be done by a person or a highly competent volunteer. And when it exceeds that ability, then you just build a workflow, build a system through planning center or Asana or any one of, you know, task um, management systems that exist. I'm going to, I'm going to pause real quick, take a deep breath. There are no questions. So I must be really clear. Um, but here's, here's, here's the big, so what people don't know how to manage our, or navigate our churches anymore. Okay. 
The future is going to be only more of that. And people are going to be increasingly skeptical, increasingly uh, hesitant, increasingly unwilling to make these kinds of commitments. And so we just have to work harder to be really clear, uh, really you know, organized and have our, have our process in place so that we're asking people just to take the next steps. Remembering that our goal is to make disciples and glorify God. There's no question about that. Nothing about that has changed. The mission, the big M mission has not changed. What has changed is the people we're trying to reach, the culture that they live in, their knowledge, their time, how they manage their time, all of that's changing. It's changing quickly. And we just have to shore up those systems. We didn't even talk about like internal staff management systems. I mean, the number of pastors and churches I talk to that don't have repeatable systems for how to manage their staff is is crazy. I mean, once you once you have one staff member, you have to manage them. Doesn't mean you have to have a whole system for them, but you do have to manage them. You do have to give them a job description. You do have to give them feedback regularly. You do have to give them ways in which they can grow and encouragement and and review them because if they're not doing well and you have to fire them and you've never documented that at any point they have done anything bad and you've never told them they've done anything bad and then you fire them one day you're in a heap of trouble uh you've got to have a staff management system you've got to have organization you've got you're running an organization whether you like it or not um, and i think the future is just going to stress out those systems more and more and more. And so we got to be prepared. So all that say, and since there are still no questions, I will wrap up and just say this. We're here to help, right? This is what we do. This is the part, you guys are probably good at the part of ministry that I'm bad at, which is like people <laughs> and and loving them and shepherding and those kinds of things. I, you know, I make a, it's a little bit of a joke, but it's not a big joke. The reality is the part I've always been good at is running the organization and making things work. And, and so that's part of why I do what I do now is I can lend my expertise to you all, help you think through this stuff. So if you wanna help, uh, if you want help, we can help. We will help you build systems. We will help you do a whole church assessment. We will help, help you do an A to Z communication plan from how do you think about yourself to how do you talk about yourself on what channels do you talk about yourself and how do you connect people all the way in from A to Z. We can help you build all that stuff. So if it's interesting to you, if you want that help, reach out, Justin at contextstaffing.com. I'm flying out to Missouri here in just a couple of weeks uh, to help uh, an X29 guy out there um, build a, a staff process and, and build a staff structure. And so happy to do that. Um, okay. Uh, Thomas says, couldn't see the plan. I enjoy your blog. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, is the, um, link not there? Uh, Thomas, look in the, in the chat for the link. Cause that, uh, if you click that blog, the, the questions, you're not seeing the link. Really? Oh, let me try this again. Let me try this again. I'm dumb. You guys got to tell me when I'm being dumb. I sent it to myself, basically. There we go. Now you should see it. Uh, so go through there and uh, and see. Uh, you can see the list now. And uh, uh, you will um, uh, hopefully have everything you need. And if you don't, just email me, justin at contextstaffing.com, and we can roll through 
uh, and uh, I can give you a consultation. We can help. We can not. Whatever. Uh, it's up to you guys. But um, uh, we're here to help. That's why we started this thing. So, uh, all right. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. Have a great week. And again, uh, I'll see you in two weeks. But if you're going to be in Denver for the extra nine thing, I'd love to see you. Uh, uh, you'll see me. I hope to see you. Have a great day. See you guys.